Let's pray, shall we, as we look at God's word together. Father God, thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you that you are a speaking God, that the word of Jesus became flesh. And we pray this morning that, um, though our minds may be sometimes dark, uh, your light may pierce and shine and reveal that we might know you through Jesus whom you've sent. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, John became a follower of Christ about five years ago. Um, But for years before that, he'd been saying to me and to others at our church how he wished he could believe in God. Um, He wished he could know God, but he just couldn't somehow seem to see him. Uh, In his language, the light just needed to be switched on somehow. And he wished that God would leave more evidence, you know, more kind of lights in the sky, messages to make it really clear for him. And I think for lots of people today, it does seem almost like God is hiding from us. If only he'd make himself more obvious. God's a bit like the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, You know, there's a kind of theory that he's there somewhere, and people say they saw a flash of his tail, or you see the kind of murky pictures people take with this sort of dark shadow in the water. Uh, But no one's quite sure, and yet it doesn't stop people spending whole lives even committed to the cause of proving that the Loch Ness Monster is really there. And a lot of us, God is like that. Is he really there? Does he exist? If only he wasn't hiding from us. And because of that, we create ways that we hope we can find God ourselves. So we might try the religious devotion um, of, of a monastery, the romantic mysticism of poetry, the rational philosophy of Kant. But whatever it is, we're all somehow looking for this God that appears to be hiding. Well, John the Gospel writer, whom we're looking at this morning and in the next few weeks, he starts from the opposite point of view. He starts by saying, not that God's hiding, but that God has revealed himself to us very clearly. And his purpose in writing this book, we call it his gospel, is that we might come to believe in Jesus and know God that way. So many people think that the key verse, the summary verse for the gospel, if you're taking notes, it's chapter 20, verse 31. And we mentioned this, by the way, at our small group session on Wednesday, so if you missed that, there are handouts from that, but this verse is on there. John 20, verse 31. Blessed, uh, these are written that you may believe. These things are written, he says, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing may have life in his name. So John is saying, I've put this gospel together, this book so that you might believe that Jesus came from God, and through him may have God's life yourself. And by the way, if you are a small group leader, we mentioned a recommended book to go with these studies. That's it there, Josh Moody, John 1 to 12 for you. If you ordered it on Wednesday, they're there at the back for you on the book table, and you can also get, buy a copy if you missed that or just want to have a look at it. So John the writer is an eyewitness. He was a disciple, a follower of Jesus, And he says in our passage now, if you've got that open, it would really help. John chapter 1, in verse 14, we have seen his glory.
glory. And that's a very emphatic we there. He means we the eyewitnesses, they came to be called the apostles, the disciples, we have seen his glory. He's talking about Jesus, the man he knew and followed and heard and sat and ate with. We've seen God's glory in him. And he's writing this to persuade us to believe what he's come to believe about Jesus. That's why one edition of the Bible entitled this book, not just the Gospel of John, but the Gospel of John, the Preacher. The Preacher. Uh, Because it, it comes across almost like a sermon, this book. It's very persuasive. He really wants us to see who Jesus is and believe. And that's our series title, See and Believe. He crafts the stories in the book very carefully, uh, selecting what he's put in, choosing the order, all the time to persuade us, like a barrister in court, putting a case together. And he starts he, with his book with a prologue, that's today's passage, and he ends it with a conclusion, so they're like bookends, with the content about Jesus in between. And we're going to see just the first four chapters this term. So, looking at this passage then, It's all about this word. It's a title, the word. And the word is mentioned in verse 1 and again in verse 14. But it's actually the main subject of the whole book of John, the word. We're going to look at this word in three ways this morning that John presents who the word is or what the word is and why we should listen to it. So what's this word? Well, the first thing is this. The word can be seen. The word can be seen by anyone. Verses 1 to 10. Uh, Let's go at the beginning. Verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, just step back. Isn't it a bit surprising here that John writes this gospel about Jesus, but unlike the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, He doesn't mention Jesus by name at all until almost the end of this passage. He starts with this really abstract title, the word. Have you thought, why would he do that? Why not just say, this is about Jesus? Well, I think it's because of this. It's a very clever way of getting our attention if we're not yet sure or have never heard of Jesus. And it's like a hook to intrigue us and get us listening. And it's also a very clear trigger word. It it refers to lots of things for the people that read it with a bit of background. So for Jewish readers then and now, I guess for churchgoers today, we think when we hear about God speaking, the word of God, we think of the Bible, and we think especially of Genesis chapter 1. If you know Genesis 1, it starts how? In the beginning. That's right. And then it says, the earth was formless and void. Then it says, and God said, God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. So there's this thing of, in the beginning there's God, there's nothing else before time, there's just God. And in the beginning was the word. And then the word is how God created. He spoke and it came to being. He spoke and planets were made. So it's a shorthand way of saying, everything I'm going to tell you about this person, 
can be referred straight back to the God of the Old Testament. It's him. And now you can see him. That's the word. But also for for Greek readers in those days, for non-Jewish readers then and now, they thought of the word as a way of describing the unknown mind that's behind the universe, the sort of ordering principle of everything. They call it the logos. That's word in Greek. And those Greek readers would be really intrigued to find that John, this Jewish gospel writer, starts his book about Jesus by using an idea that they've heard before in Greek philosophy. As if John is trying to hook his readers and say, look, you should listen to this. This is about you and about eternity. So we've seen, haven't we, that the word is how God creates. Uh, Verse 3, he's explicit with that. Through him, all things were made in the beginning. There was God and he was creating. He's not just the one through whom everything's made. He's actually the origin of life itself. So verse 4, in him was life. And again, before time and creation, before God made us all, What was there? Well, there was just God. There was just life, God's life. John is saying that in him, in this word, God's life took its origin, its source. And through that life, all other life has appeared. And then he says, far from hiding, the end of verse 4, the word is actually revealing. That's the word, is radiating light to all of us. To the whole universe, in fact, is probably the sense. That life was the light of all mankind. Almost certainly here, John is saying that the word of God is speaking to mankind in everything, in all of creation. Through the life given to planets, to plants, to animals. We're meant to recognize God through looking at the universe around us, the light that comes from God's life. But maybe particularly, he's also referring here to how God has revealed himself, his light, to our minds through what we call the Old Testament, the scriptures before Jesus. So God was radiating light through Moses, through Isaiah, through Miriam, and so on. And yet, verse 5, and here's the kind of, um, the negative comes in, the light shone in the darkness and or but the darkness has not understood it or overcome it. It's an ambiguous word there. So the light is shining. God is doing his best, as it were, to help us to see that he's there and what he's like. But the world, it's, a, it's kind of, it's a, the cosmos not just us, us, but the whole world, has not comprehended what God is trying to say. The world is a place of darkness. That's one of the themes of this gospel. John doesn't just mean uh, us, but the whole cosmos. Um, he doesn't mean by saying that we're, we're dark, that some of us are brighter than others, that some people get it and others don't. Uh, he means all of us, every person, everything in the universe is somehow hostile to God's light. This was the sin we talked about earlier. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to see it. We blind ourselves just in case God speaks to us. We prefer darkness. 
And so in verse 10, John says the light was in the world, and yet the world didn't recognize it, didn't recognize him. God is shining. God shone in creation. God shone in the scriptures. But we didn't want to see. If you stand on the cliff at Cromer at night time, uh, you'll see darkness out there, pitch black, and then you'll see intermittently, won't you, a light flashing. The lighthouse is sending a bright beam of light out that is piercing the darkness. But if you think about it, that lighthouse is not light up the whole sky, is it? Darkness is still actually dominating. But there's still that one ray of light that is neither destroying the darkness nor being quenched by the darkness either. That's the sense here. God's light has been shining. It's still there, but we just haven't received it. The word radiates light into the darkness. And John tells us, that God then sent a final witness to the light. One more prophet, as it were, like the others, called John the Baptist. And he's a big character in this gospel. We'll learn more about him next time. But if you look at verse 7, we find why God did this. It's another aspect of God shining light. He says, John the Baptist came as a witness, a signpost concerning the light, so that through him, through John's witness, all might believe. God hasn't given up. He's still wanting to persuade us that he's there and what he's like. And it's very humbling, isn't it, when you think about this. God has been trying so hard to speak to the human race, to speak to us, every one of us this morning. And yet, despite all of that, we've been blind. I remember this before I became a Christian. How blind I'd been, how I'd shut God's message out, not even knowing I was doing it most of the time. And you see, it humbles us. We can't think our way to God. We can't live our way to God. We need him to shine his light into us instead. And that's where the really good news comes in, with our second main point this morning. The word, yes, it can be seen, but we're blind to it. But then in verse 11 onwards to 15, we find, what does he say? He came. He came. This is a dramatic moment in the gospel and in history. You see, before this point, think about this. The word had created. The word had existed. He had radiated light. But we'd not seen it. And then suddenly, now he actually came. No longer any distance between the word, God, and the human race, us. He existed, he created, now he came. He stepped down from eternity into time and matter. So John, in our language, is talking about Christmas here, isn't he? He's been to a carol service. He's talking about how Jesus was born as a fragile, frail human being, but yet still radiating the life and light of God from within him. And amazingly, again, this is just how blind we are, uh, verse 11, but his own did not receive him. He came to his own, that's probably reference to his own people, the Jewish people, but as you know, many of them didn't believe in him. Even when God comes among us, even then we're not yet ready to receive him. And yet God persists. Verse 12 reminds us that the light of Jesus 
wasn't stopped or quenched by our unbelief. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See the amazing paradox there? The Jesus that John had met, had walked with and listened to, this human being, he says, is absolutely, totally identified with the divine word there before creation. Isn't it amazing that this this person, John, came to believe that one man, Jesus, could combine both full humanity and full divinity in himself? The word became flesh, verse 14, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, flesh in the Bible, that's our skin and bones, what we are, what we're made of. Uh, It's usually, in the Bible, tainted by human weakness, by human sin. That's something we all have in common. And yet here for the first time is human flesh, a man, but completely responsive now to God's spirit, a perfect life. He says God made his dwelling among us. That's a reference to the Old Testament where God dwelt, uh, camped literally among his people in the desert. Jesus is now how God is dwelling among us. God's glory That's God's radiated beauty in the Bible is now shining through Jesus. God's character. uh, The the two words describing God in the Old Testament as love and faithfulness. Echoed deliberately by John here when he says he came from the Father full of grace and truth. Love and faithfulness. Grace and truth. John's using every word of this verse, isn't he? To make sure we don't miss this, to demonstrate that Jesus is both divine word and human being. He's not part God, part man. He's fully God, fully man, as we remind ourselves, as we did this morning, in the words of what we call the creed. And even John testifies to that, verse 15. He who comes after me, says John the Baptist was before me. Uh, Slightly obscure way of saying What he's saying is this. Jesus, the man, the man that I'm going to tell you about, the man I'm pointing you to, the man you should listen to, Jesus is younger than me physically, humanly. Um, I'm a little bit older than him. He came after me. But then he says, he was before me. And it's the, the word was that, it's a kind of always was word. He was before me, meaning he may be physically younger than me, but actually spiritually, eternally, well, he was born before the rest of us. He's God himself. He's eternal. God and man together. God revealing himself. God can not just be seen, but if we'd been there, we could have done this. He can be touched. The word can be touched. Famously, when the Soviet... Cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin, the first man in space, went up and he went round, he did an orbit of the Earth and he came back and he landed. He famously said as he came out of his capsule, well, I've been up into the heavens now, I had a good look round, and I didn't see God anywhere. 
as a little kind of atheist dig, wasn't it, at, at us who believe in God, that God is up there hiding somewhere, and now he's shown that he's not there at all. But of course, God is not up there somewhere hiding at all, is he? He's been down here showing himself. If we'd been there, we could have seen him and touched him. And Jesus came that you and I could be connected to God again. And the only way to do it is by becoming one of us, so that it's obvious in a comprehensible form what God is like, that he's grace and truth all wrapped up in one. So if you're here this morning and you're still skeptical about whether God is there, uh, not sure about all this stuff, there's no better way to explore this than to just get a copy of one of the Gospels. John's Gospel will be great. We have some on the book table, the bookstall at the back there. And just read it for yourself. Uh, Come back in a couple of weeks' time and talk to me or talk to someone about what you make of it. Again, if we're here and um, we think, yes, this is the Jesus that I love that, that helped me to know God. This is how I know God myself. It's through Jesus, God's Son, the Word made flesh. What better way for you and me to be praying for someone this week that we work with or in our family for an opportunity maybe to have a conversation with them about whether God is there. And if you have a gospel in your pocket at all times, you can then say, look, this is how I got to know him. It's through the original documents about this historical figure, Jesus, that's changed millions of lives. Why don't you have a look and read it? So he can be seen, he can be touched. And then just briefly to finish, the obvious thing, the word can also be received. 16 to 18, these eyewitnesses of Jesus had the ability to to touch him, to see him physically, but we can still receive him, see him spiritually today. So 16, out of his fullness, God's fullness in Jesus, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God. But God, the one and only Son, who's himself God in the closest relationship with him, uh, some translations it's who's at the Father's side or in the Father's bosom, in the Father's heart, has made him known. So we couldn't know God the Father, but now Jesus has made him known. He's revealed him. He's explained him. You see there what John is saying. He's saying, knowing God is not something that I think my way to or live a moral life to achieve. If I live a good life, I'll one day come to know what God is like. It's simply something we receive as a gift. We were hiding, but the word revealed God to us. We were blind, but the light opened our eyes. We were unable to understand God, but Jesus, verse 18 says, has made him known. He's explained him in a way we can get it. John explained back in verse 13 that anyone who receives Jesus becomes a child of God. And in the Bible, that God's children are those who trust in God personally, God's people. All the human race are loved by God, but only believers are his children. And how do we become his child? John says it's not by inherited descent, verse 13. It's not by human desire. It's not by a husband's decision. You're just born of God. He gives it to you as you trust Jesus. 
So perhaps I can just speak for a moment as I finish in a second. To those of us who are cursed, can I say this, cursed with inherited privilege. Or maybe with just having a strong will, a strong mind. Or with above average intelligence. That's probably everyone here. Now you see, those things can be a blessing, but... When we turn to them and rely upon them, instead of trusting in Jesus for life, for happiness, for eternity, for God, they become a curse, don't they? They stop us receiving faith, Jesus, open-handed. And we turn instead to dissent, desire, decision, instead of grace. Our only part, please hear this this morning, our only part in coming to know God through Jesus, is receiving him. To those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right. It's what God has done, not what I do. It's what God gives, it's what I receive. So again, please just ask the person you came with this morning, ask someone over coffee after, it's a great conversation to have, how does someone actually receive that? How do I do that? Because I'm not sure I've ever done it, if that's you. God is not hiding like the Loch Ness Monster. He has made himself obvious. We see him fully in Jesus, not just a flash of his tail. And as God witnesses to his word, he's done it for centuries, from the beginning of time. He he did it through Moses and through Miriam. He did it, as we've seen, through John the Baptist and John the Evangelist. But actually, he does it also today through us. As we say, yes, we've received from his fullness, grace and truth. And let's pray that this week and the coming weeks that many eyes, other eyes, will be opened. Many children of God will be born as we offer this word to those around us too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess to you again that we are, by nature, unable to see you. That we've shut out the light that you've been shining into the world for so long. But we thank you that you have come into the world as one of us to show us in your life and especially in your death for our sins, the grace and truth of God himself. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving yourself for us. Thank you for giving us new life freely. Help us to receive you, to become your children, born again into new life forever. And help us to be witnesses, messengers, those that pass on the good news that John's given us this morning. In his name, Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.